my name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we bring you Weird Comics History, episode number 28, Exploring the Mysteries of Mar- Miracle Man, part two, coming to America. Uh, you can find us every Sunday and sporadically on Tuesdays and other days of the week on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up from iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated, right? Would you say mm. so, Chris? Am I missing, I think, yeah. are we missing any there? Like, the list, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the list has grown so much over the over time that uh, I'm not really sure we catch all of them, but I assume any one of them will pick up the uh, our podcast over there on chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Just to throw it out there one more time. <laughs> so this is part two of three of our look at the amazing mysteries of Miracle Man, and uh, as we'll come to know him shortly, well, I'm sorry, Marvel Man, and as we'll come to know him shortly, Miracle Man. Anyway, let me let me do a recap. Uh, Captain Marvel and related comics were created and published in the United States by Fawcett Comics from 1940 to 1953. These comics were licensed for reprint in the UK by L. Miller and Sons Limited. When the original Captain Marvel comics dried up, they took another tack and hired Mick Anglo through his Gower Studios to create new similar characters for publication. And so Marvelman and the Marvel Man family were created. Marvel Man would end in its run in 1959, and L. Miller and Sons liquidated their assets. Years later, the after some stuff, you'll have to listen to the last episode to find out the specifics of what happened in the interim, but for the purpose of our story, years later, the UK's Warrior magazine, which was an anthology of comics that began in 1982, would purchase the rights to Marvel Man, uh, specifically so Alan Moore could write his deconstructed take on the character. Marvel Comics sent a cease and desist letter to Warrior, uh, which was a couple of pages long from the looks of it, <laughs> uh, which they were, which they more or less rejected and then ceased operations for unrelated reasons, sort of leaving the point moot right there. But Pretty much. That will not be the end of our miraculous Marvel Men. We go to part two of that story. We do, and we're going to start off by discussing Eclipse Comics. Now, there comes a time when a property is seen as financially viable, such as Alan Moore's Marvel Man. So why not try to publish the reprints in the United States? Well, there is that whole name thing. Uh, we know that cease and desist thing happened, so uh, Marvel Man could not legally be the title of the comic book. And, uh, oddly enough, Marvel Comics actually passed on the property when offered licensing rights. Uh, Alan Moore says the following. They were very heavy-handed about the entire thing, especially since Marvel Man had been copyrighted in 1953, which, according to the no-doubt antiquated calendar that we still use over here, was several years before 1961, when I believe Marvel copyrighted their name in America. Now, he cites this, along with the subsequent domestic renaming of the property, as when his initial problems with Marvel started. He continues to say, That is what led me to state that I didn't want to work for Marvel, and they haven't really done anything to change my opinion of them since. Uh, DC Comics also passed on the rights. Uh, They probably weren't too keen on publishing a Komoda ongoing series. Ah, yes, uh, they already, Mm -hmm. they had their, uh, you know, Shazam, they had no reason. But as you can see from Marvel's point of view, it's kind of a big risk, like... Yeah, you can't let it go. Will American audiences uh, even like this, you know, or want to read this? You know, it would have been a lot for them to take that on uh, at that time, even while they were still riding high. But anyway, uh, Eclipse Comics would become Marvel Man's American home, but only after Pacific Comics, who had acquired the license, went out of business before putting an issue out. Eclipse Comics was founded in 1977 as Eclipse Enterprises by Jan and Dean Mullaney. Published the first graphic novel specifically for the comic book specialty store in August 1978. This was Saber, Slow Fate of an Endangered Species by Don McGregor and Paul Gulissi. Gulissi? There you go. That that (laughs) all sounds right. Uh, After moving from their Staten Island digs to an office in Columbia, Missouri, Dean Mullaney's wife, Kat Ironwood, took over as editor-in-chief, and thanks in part to the popularity of the independent comics market, was able to expand their publishing line. In addition to Marvel Man, other properties from her tenure include The Rocketeer by Dave Stevens and Zot by Scott McCloud, both very well-remembered uh, mm-hmm. works of their time. In 1985, she, along with Trina Robbins, co-wrote the book Women on Comics for Eclipse Books. Uh, Trina Robbins, you'll remember, is the uh, woman who started Women 
women's comics, women's right? comics in, the, yes. in the underground years uh as well as the first woman to draw superman anyway uh wonder woman wonder woman anyway yeah. uh eclipse produced lines of non-fiction non-sports trading cards featuring such topics as uh iran contra aids the candy assassination serial killers mass murderers and the mafia these are that's just like fun set of cards huh, Chris? Doesn't it? <laughs> i can see you and your friends are swapping them putting them in your baseball uh yeah, you know, I, I bicycle got a double of Dahmer. Yeah. Exactly. I actually remember. Uh, I'm not positive we're talk- we got to be talking about the same cards, but I do remember cards like this. The '80s were a funny time, folks. You know what I mean? Kind of very <laughs> cynical, dark time. Uh, in 1988, Eclipse, under their Eclipse International banner, brought over some early manga, including My the Psychic Girl. Perhaps best remembered for the cover copy: "She is pretty. She is psychic. She is Japanese." Uh, you know, they're trying to introduce manga, though, to an American audience. It's tough sure. tough to know what, what premise to uh, get into. Uh, and then, uh, before that, in 1986, there was a flood, which caused Eclipse the majority of their back-issue stock, and put a crypt production. We'll have more on that a little bit later. Yes, we're going to hop back to Marvel Man. Uh, via Mike Friedrich, Eclipse was put in touch with our pal uh, D- Des Skin, and the rest was history. They they got the rights, and they were going to go with it. Uh, the name of the book was changed to the more familiar to many of us American types as Miracle Man. Uh, this allowed them to keep the double M Marvel Man logo and costume. Oddly enough, in Alan Moore and Alan's Moore and Davis Marvel UK Captain Britain strips, they created a character based off of Marvel Man called miracle man oh boy it just never stops it never it, it <laughs> never they can't make it easy on you you know you cannot never uh cat ironwood is uh, has said uh when we finished reprinting the warrior material we just kept on with the series working with alan moore uh this will be important for what's to come she said we bought a part of the ownership of the series which pacific comics had never intended to do they had simply intended to reprint existing british stuff and then stop because des was no longer publishing because by that time, there had been a shakeout in the industry. We bought out Dez's share. You have to remember that. Yes. We bought out Dez's, Dez's share. share. <laughs> uh, Miracle Man number one was published with an August 1985 cover date and was in full color as opposed to the black and white originally uh, was done in Warrior magazine. Nearly every mention of Marvel Man was edited in these reprints, though few did make it away to press. A little instances of, of Marvel Man. Sure. The entire back catalog of Warrior Marvel Man stories were reprinted in the first five and a half issues of the Eclipse run. And after this, Alan Moore returned to complete the story without Alan Davis, who, with whom he was quarreling, uh, which is unusual for Alan Moore to be quarreling yeah, he, with anybody we know. He usually gets along with everybody. It, I guess, must be the Alan thing. They didn't know. They kept, <laughs> they kept both saying yes whenever they heard their name called. It, it was annoying. <laughs> uh, new artists would include Moore's Swamp Thing pals John Totalman and Rick Veach. And Chuck Beckham, who we all might know better as Chuck Austin. Yeah, that Chuck Austin. Mm-hmm. Now, the Eclipse run, the first five reprint issues, we have Miracle Man number one, August 1985. Uh, per the Amazing Heroes preview special number two, this is cover dated winter 1986, Eclipse worked with a Finnish printer for the first issue, which resulted in a, quote, miscolored, damage-heavy issue. Uh, this would account for the two-month delay between the first and second Eclipse issues, which is kind of weird since, you know, these were reprints. All the work was already done. Have you seen the uh, first printings at all? Do you know what was the... Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't notice anything bad about it, but uh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that word for it. <laughs> okay, sure. I mean, it's not, it's not like the, the reds are green or whatever. You, you, it just... No, no, it's nothing nothing that outrageous. I... I, I, I I looked at it a little while ago, and I didn't really see much difference. Yeah, I mean, the coloring of these is sort of almost watercolor anyway, right? It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not your typical comic book. Like, yeah, it's lay down a, a swap of Almost color. ethereal, yeah. It is, it's like painted anyway. And uh, to see, Miracle Man number two came out October 1985 cover date. Miracle Man number three, November 1985 cover date. Miracle number four came out December 1985 cover, when Miracle Man number five had a January 1985 cover. Then Miracle Man number six, the first new one in February 1986 cover date, titled Every Dog Has His Day and All Heads Turn as the Hunt Goes By, by Alan Moore, John Ridgway, Chuck Beckham, and Alan Davis. The first half is the Abraxas story from the Warrior Run, but the second features Evelyn Cream being devoured by Miracle Dog. Ooh. Mm. 
Uh, Miracle Man number seven, April 1986 cover. These are two stories. It's Bodies and The Wish I Wish Tonight by Alan Moore, Pedro Henry, John Ridgway, and Chuck Beckham. Mike, Mike Moran, Miracle Man, uh, takes out Miracle Dog, but loses a few fingers in the process. He uses the keyword Steppenwolf that he'd overheard Gugunza use to transform the pup initially. He then manages to change back into Miracle Man and kills Dr. Gargunza. Dr. Gargunza. Uh, he crushes his larynx before he could say Abraxas, which is the canceling out word, then flies into orbit and smashes Gargunza back into Earth's atmosphere. Ooh, that's rough. And again, uh, this is confusing. Go back and listen to the previous episode. We explained yes. who all these characters are there. Yeah, we kept it purposely vague because we didn't want to spoil everything, but... Uh, Enough of it's there to follow. Enough that you should be able to, and frankly, you should be able to follow through context, essentially what's going on here. But anyway, uh, sure. Miracle Man number eight, June 86, cover date. Miracle Man Combat the Electric Terror by Mick Anglo. This issue came out in the aftermath of the eclipse flood we discussed earlier. It would open with an editorial by Cat Ironwood apologizing for missing their deadline and include a preview for, upcoming, for the upcoming Eclipse New Wave book. The framing sequence was drawn by Chuck Beckham. That brings us to a very special issue. Oh, Miracle yes. Man number nine, cover dated July 1986. Story is called Birth. It was by Alan Moore and Rick Veach. Uh, this cover, this issue features the rescue of Liz Moran and the, quote, graphic childbirth of Miracle Baby, who will be named Winter. And it's hinted at pretty heavily that she's a superhuman, just like her father uh, right off the bat. Um, also, Johnny Bates continues fighting off his kid Miracle Man alter ego. And also, he's visited by aliens. All right. Uh, now, these are the uh, QYS. How, how would you pronounce that? I would say Kai's. Kai's, okay. These are the Kai's aliens, and we'll talk a little bit more about them in a little bit. Now, when asked about how he felt about being tasked, about being tasked with drawing such a realistic take on childbirth, Beach would say, I wasn't surprised by anything Alan did by that point because he was shaking the whole industry up with original and imaginative ways of writing comics. And I don't think Alan or I understood the business side of comics enough at that point to realize the position we were putting the retailers in by showing swollen vaginas and such. Eclipse editor Cat Ironwood was closely involved with the story, says Veach. Uh, Veach says, Cat was rightly concerned that I'd not follow Alan's directions and turn the thing into a ridiculous mess like most other depictions of birth in comics have been done. I think she pointed out one where the artist had swiped a spread shot from Hustler for a birthing pose. Wow. Okay. Uh, Cat, <laughs> Cat Ironwood adds, uh, I went off to get photo reference. We were used for photo reference a book called A Child is Born, which has been in print since the 60s. If you compare the book, which is available in almost every public library, with the pictures in Miracle Man, you'll see that they are copies from that. When asked about clapback, she offers one retailer in Southern California who also had a second career writing pornography under another name, and who has seven children of his own, his own biological children, and had attended their births and videotaped them, told us he wouldn't carry the childbirth issue in his store. At that point, I knew we were really dealing with a form of major hypocrisy and a hatred of nature and a fear of natural processes. Uh, from that quote, I'm not sure who overreacted more. Yeah, really. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, they would, Eclipse that is, begrudgingly include a warning on the cover of the issue. It's a little square like uh, like the Surgeon General's warning on cigarettes. Okay. It says, uh, attention parents, this issue contains graphic scenes of childbirth. A couple of years later, they would have definitely polybagged it, I think. You know, that would have been the... They uh, did in the reprint. The, in the, reprint, the Marvel they, reprint, they right, did. Later on, they Not did, to spoil yeah. the story, but... Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, it's funny. This is just a little bit kind of before that became a normal yes. comics practice. Uh, Miracle Man number 10 had a cover date of December 1986, and then you got to note the six-month gap between this and the last issue, which is sadly a sign of things to come. Uh... Titled Mind Games by Alan Moore and Rick Beach, the aliens continue tracking down subjects of Project Zarathustra. Johnny Bates fights off his kid Miracle Man or alter ego. And Mike and Liz Moran's marriage continue uh, sorry. Mike and Liz Moran's marriage continues to weaken. Baby Winter shows signs of advanced intelligence and a little uh, superheroine, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Meet Miracle Woman. Who is she? She is revealed when the Kai's aliens were in an analysis on the Miracle family. The family of Cuckoos is now at six members. Miracle Man, 
Winter, Kid Miracle Man, Young Miracle Man, Miracle Dog, and Miracle Woman. Hmm. We jump to Miracle Man, issue 11, April 1987, cover date. It's Kronos by Alan Moore and John Tottleman. Only a four-month gap yep. this time around. Now, this is the start of Alan Moore's book three of Miracle Man, referred to as Olympus. Book three reads as rather compressed. Many folks believe that Moore crammed three extra books worth of stories, so books four, five, and six of Miracle Man into this one arc. Uh, You compound that with the fact that each issue of book three only runs 16 pages of story. I mean, Alan Moore's work, as dense as it is, this is some very dense reading. Seems like they should have dispensed with the comics and just let him... uh... Now, the arc begins analyzing a world that had been taken over by superhumans, where the super people have become the, quote, rulers of the Earth. Hmm, that sounds familiar, you know. Hmm. Uh, might want to take a look at or listen to Weird Comics History, episode 23, Twilight of the Superheroes in the Archives for a similar Alan Moore pitch. Yes. Now, this issue begins five years after the events of the previous issue, with Miracle Man presiding over a whole parliament of supertypes. A flashback reveals that Miracle Man had a bit of a battle with those Keys aliens several years earlier. Uh, They would attempt to apprehend Baby Winter, but would be stopped by Miracle Woman. Then Miracle Man number 12, September 1987, cover date. This is Aphrodite by Alan Moore and John Tottleman. The Secret Origin of Miracle Woman, and she, like other members of the Miracle Man family, was kidnapped as a teen and experimented on by Gargunza. Another test subject, Terence Rebek, is introduced. He would be young Nasty Man, who is like the other bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was that yeah, faux Black's Adam type, the reverse of Marvel Man or now Miracle Man. Um, after the bomb of 1963 went off, Miracle Woman went into hiding only resurfacing after Miracle Man's return. Yes, we jump to Miracle Man number 13, November 1987, cover date. This is the next actual part of book three, and it only comes out seven months after the last chapter. Uh, This is called Hermes by Alan Moore and John Tottleman. Miracle Man and Miracle Woman are transported to another galaxy by the Keys. Or how are we saying that, Kais? Kais, it's it's Q-I-S, it's all the aliens. (laughs) Yes. The Kai's initial plan was to exterminate superhumans on Earth. The birth of Winter, a, quote, natural superhuman, put a crimp in those plans. The Kai's confer with their rivals, the Warpsmiths. Now, both races decide to send proxies to Earth as watchers. Miracle Man and Miracle Woman are the representatives of the Kai's, and two folks named Aza Chom and Phone Muda will represent the Warpsmiths. Uh, at, back at home, Liz Moran decides to leave her husband, and her baby, this very issue. I don't really blame her, uh, frankly, with what's going on. Be like, en- right? enough is enough, okay? Yeah, you, I added up to here. <laughs> uh, now, Johnny Bates continues fighting off the kid Miracle Man alter ego, but you gotta wonder how much longer can he push him off? Ooh. I mean, really, I mean, Liz is like, look, I know I had a baby and everything, I love, but <laughs> this is crazy now. It's like some alien prophecy. I'm, I'm going to the bar. Yeah, anyway, can't, can't uh, have her parents over. Can't have yeah, exactly. Yeah, she can't have anyone over. So the yeah. whole, whole life is not great. So, uh, Miracle Man number fourteen. That was April nineteen eighty eight. Cover after a five month gap from the previous issue, we get Pantheon by Alan Moore and John Tottleman. We meet Fire Drake, Huey Moon, a super human, the only black member of Miracle Man's cabinet. Uh, not related to the Gargunza experiments. More like born this way, kind of like the X Men. Kind of a born mutant sort of fella. Uh, Winter leaves Earth to join the Kais to be further educated on what and who she is. Miracle Man kills Mike Moran, sort of like kind of committing suicide by refusing to ever turn back to that uh, human character. And elsewhere, Johnny Bates finally gives in to Kit Miracle Man. Yes, leading right to Miracle Man number 15. It's November 1988, day seven month wait for the climax. Uh, this is Nemesis by Alan Moore and John Tidelman, and this is basically the issue of Miracle Man, uh, one of the most violent issues of a comic to be released at the time. Also, bar none, the hardest of this run to find, the original run, that is. Uh, this issue regularly sells for the in the three-figure range at shops and online. Wow. This is a, this is a tough one. I, I've only seen it 
in real life like two or three times, and it's always been a little bit outside my price range. I bet, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Kid Miracle Man finally freed rampages through London, and it is very, very gruesome. Uh, Miracle Man and Kid Miracle Man get to fighting. Those Warp Smith watchers we met earlier, they get involved, and they teleport Kid Miracle Man inside a steel girder. Uh, when Kid Miracle Man changes back into Johnny Bates, Miracle Man actually goes through with killing him this time around. You remember he spared him last time. Yeah. This time he, he goes ahead and, and does the deed. He was like, sorry, this is so many months later. You know, thanks, <laughs> thanks to these delays, we're in a harder, colder time now. And it's yes. time to, uh, yeah, I think you only like three uh, comics with three-digit prices when there's a decimal point after the yes. first digit, right? Or the, <laughs> even before it, you like that too. Sometimes. Uh, Miracle Man number 16, December 1989, covered eight. 13 months in the making for this epilogue. Let me tell you, this is not, this not have been a lot of fun to wait for coming out. Uh, Olympus by Alan Moore and John Tottleman. Uh, Miracle Man's pantheon now rule over a utopian Earth. Miracle Man and Miracle Woman become lovers, and the Warpsmiths have a funeral orgy. Winter returns from the Kais to rejoin her father, and the epilogue ends with an image of the Olympus Fortress from which Miracle Man rules. Uh, Moore's run on the Miracle Man title ended with issue number 16, and the reigns, and more importantly for our story, his own ownership share on the property, more on that in a bit, <laughs> Moore's ownership of this, uh, they were handed to Neil Gaiman. Moore was becoming suspicious over the ownership of the character by this point. He didn't see Skin as a terribly trustworthy guy that's does Skin, even on his best day. And he recalls telling Neil... This may well be a poison chalice. I've got no idea who owns Marvel Man. For all I know, it might still be owned by Mick Anglo. Hmm. Now, Neil's run with Mark Buckingham on art would last until issue number 24, August 1993 cover. Issue 25 was completed, but never published by Eclipse. And uh, as of this recording, never published at all. Yeah. Uh, now, this is because Eclipse went bankrupt. They ceased operations in 1994 and filed for bankruptcy in 1995. The final Eclipse publication was their spring 1993 catalog, which would include a bibliography of, of their entire tenure as a publishing house. Now, we'll get into the Game and Buckingham run here. The first arc, The Golden Age, was written with an anthology approach. When asked why, Neil would say, two reasons. One, which was... Uh, which was terror-feeling like the idea of taking over Miracle Man was one that filled me with fear. The other reason was the Golden Age allowed him to, quote, world-build and establish what was to come in the subsequent The Silver Age and The Dark Age arcs. Right, well, so far so good. That all, that all sounds well and good. Sure. Neil was a pretty busy fella around this time, as I even recall. Cat mm -hmm. uh, says, Cat uh, Ironwood says, Neil had a lot of lateness problems. The quality of writing was just as good. It's just that he was overcommitted to other projects for other companies, and he put us last, which was unfair. Before we get to the game in Buckingham run proper, Total Eclipse. Mm. A company-wide crossover, sort of in the vein of Crisis at Infinite Earths, but only for the Eclipse universe. Written by, hey, how about that? It was Marv Wolfman, the very <laughs> author of Crisis at Infinite Earths himself. Uh, a series of five prestige format books with cover dates from May 1988 through Mark, uh, sorry, through April 1989. Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's first Miracle Man work, a story called Screaming, would be seen in Total Eclipse number four. Mm -hmm. Now we pick up with Miracle Man number 17. They didn't restart it at number one. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, right. Uh, June 1990 cover date. It's called A Prayer and Hope by Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham. This is book four of Miracle Man, The Golden Age. It starts right here. We follow four pilgrims as they travel through the utopian Olympus to meet with Miracle Man. It's basically an examination of the new religious philosophy of this utopian world. Uh, we jump to Miracle Man number 18, August 1990, Skin Deep by Gaiman and Buckingham. Here we meet John Galloway, a windmill tender who once had an affair with Miracle Woman. We learn that he was only in love with Miracle Woman due to her perfection, and when he and when he found himself uh, unable to love her in her human alter ego, Avril Lear. Uh, we have a backup story here that features children discussing Kid Miracle Man, giving the distinct impression that he, or at least his spirit, managed to live on. 
Then Miracle Man number 19, November 1990, cover date, Notes from the Underground by Gaiman and Buckingham. Clones, clones, clones. We learned of there being nearly two dozen clones of Andy Warhol inside Olympus, and also that there had been several failed attempts at, attempts at cloning a cooperative Dr. Gargunza. Miracle Man number 20, March 1991 cover, Winter's Tale by Gaiman and Buckingham. This is a story about Miracle Man's frozen sperm okay. and its ability to impregnate women with miracle babies of their own. Very good. Uh, yes, uh, Miracle Man number 21, we have July 1991 cover date, Spy Story by Gaiman and Buckingham. This is sort of a take on that old uh, that old British show, The Prisoner, yeah. uh, had, had it occurred in you know, Miracle Man's Utopian Olympus. Uh, we get a backup here, and it's just a reprinting of the Gammon and Buckingham screaming story from Total Eclipse number four. That's cool. You get to at least get them all together. But uh, yeah. seems a little more scattered. Seems a little more, yeah, like like I think anthology, like uh, Gaiman had described. This is really just kind of a smattering of stories about the Miracle Man universe. Yes. Uh, Miracle Man number 22, August 1991, cover date. Carnival by Gaiman and Buckingham. Carnival is the holiday celebrated each year commemorating the defeat of Kid Miracle Man. All the characters Gaiman has introduced to this point attend the festivities in London, wrapping up his first book of Miracle Man stories. Worth mentioning throughout this book, there were backup pages including all the re- re- included uh, that all titled Retrieval, which explores Miracle Man's attempts at bringing young Miracle Man back to life. Not Kid Miracle Man, Young Miracle Man, the one who died in the bomb of 1963. Mm-hmm. So don't get confused, folks. I sure am. <laughs> yes, young, young Miracle Man is the good one. Okay. Uh, kid, kid is the bad one. Okay, that Kid's the bad. Now we have a Miracle Man Apocrypha. This is a three-issue miniseries that bridged the game in Buckingham Golden and Silver Age arcs. And this actually shipped... Almost monthly. Whoa. Uh, this ran from November 1991 to February 1992. There's more anthology stories uh, featuring the works of folks like Gaiman, Derek Robinson, or I'm sorry, Derek Robertson, Val Mayrick, Mark Buckingham, Alex Ross, Kurt Busick, James Robinson, Matt Wagner, Norm Brayfogle, and Kelly Jones, among several others. Now, the neatest part of this entire series is uh, issue number two's cover homage to uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel number one. And issue three's homage to uh, Fantastic Four number five, which is the first appearance of Doctor Doom. And instead of Doom, it's Gargunza. And I think that uh, the reason that these came out more, you know, closer to something on time is that so many people were involved. So many people were able were to, like, it, you yes. know, get someone else to <laughs> fill in the pages there. But, uh, all right, so Miracle Man number 23, June 1992, cover date. Here's The Secret Origin of Young Miracle Man by Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham. Nearly a year later, we enter Book 5, The Silver Age, that, that is the still, as of this recording, not yet completed story. Story picks up in the far-flung future of 2003. Are people <laughs> up flying cars by then? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's too far to figure out. I figure <laughs> the Cubs have got to win the World Series by then. Oh, twice. Uh, <laughs> Young Miracle Man, as has been detailed in the retrieval backups, has returned to the living and is trying to adapt on this new world couldn't understand the inclusion of a black man to Miracle Man's pantheon. He also didn't dig Miracle Woman's manner of dress. So he's kind of old-fashioned and... uh, Stuck in the 60s, we'll say. Yes. (laughs) Now we have Miracle Man number 24, June 1993. Came out 14 months later. That's a gap, isn't it? That's a big one. (laughs) Now the story's called When Titans Clash by Nick Gaiman and Buckingham. A celebration is held marking the return of Young Miracle Man, uh, which led to a discussion on how and why Kid Miracle Man wound up going bad. Also, there's a weird scene where a Miracle Woman coerces Miracle Man and Young Miracle Man to kiss each other. Okay. Uh, it really appears to uh, tick off Young Miracle Man, though Miracle Man himself doesn't appear all that into it either. Seems weird and just just randomly wants him to give a smooch or... Yeah, it, it feels kind of like a commentary on that perceived latent homosexuality of superheroes and their sidekicks uh, during the Golden and Silver Ages. All right. Fair enough, I guess. If you recall <laughs> from our discussion of the Comics Code Authority, Seduction of the Innocent and Dr. Frederick Wortham, it seems many folks have conflated what was actually written with Wortham's outright referring to Batman and Robin as a gay couple, which we go into pretty detailed and show that he did not do that. Uh, that was way back in episode two, 
of Weird Comics History, by the way, available in the archives. Uh, Wortham never referred to Batman and Robin as being gay, but said their closeness may foment and embolden feelings in a reader if they were already predisposed. And it's really clear. Like, if you go through our episode, yeah. you'll see he was not... He, he didn't say it would turn someone gay, but no. those, you know, proclivities might be aroused. Sure. Uh, but why let history get in the way of a good narrative, though? We never have let <laughs> that happen before, so... <laughs> Uh, and that's that. Eclipse was in financial turmoil, and the head honchos, Cat Ironwood and Dean Mullaney, were in the pro- in the midst of divorcing. A note in number 24's letters column promises speedy delivery of number 25, but it was never to come at all. Uh, although it's allegedly fully completed, it has never seen publication to this day, and worth noting, number 26 was also allegedly partially completed by this point. Yes. <laughs> now, with the story portion out of the way, let's yeah. get into the legalese here. Uh, now, this is after Neil Gaiman took over, and uh, we're going to take a look at the Eclipse Agreement in relatively bre- in relative brevity here. Uh, the writer obligations. So this is what Gaiman was to deliver. He was supposed to supply script material of 26 pages of Miracle Man for 18 issues of the series. It was basically two years publication at nine issues per year. The writer's compensation, he gets a $60 per page advance and royalties of 3% of the cover price on each copy, copy sold up to and including 50,000 copies. Wow. So, uh, And also, after that, 4% of the cover for copies in excess of 50,000 and also the reprints. Uh, cover price for the book was $1.95 USD, so Neil was getting 5.8 cents per copy sold in royalties. Now, the important part and the maddening part. Ownership of trademarks and copyrights. (laughs) Section 3A of the agreement acknowledges that the writer retains and is the sole and exclusive owner of all copyrights in and to the stories. Writer acknowledgement as copyright holder would be included in every issue. Section 3B gets into the nitty-gritty and states that of the Miracle Man property, Eclipse shall own two-thirds while the writer, Gaiman, and the artist, Buckingham, shall jointly own one-third. And we will be coming back to this time and again in a bit. Yeah, this this is where things <laughs> get dicey, everyone. Uh, according to former Eclipse comic sales manager Bo Smith, Miracle Man was Eclipse's most consistent top-selling book. Not always number one, but steadily at the top of their charts. Speaking of Bo Smith, after Eclipse folded, he would become the exec- executive director of publishing for Todd McFarlane Productions. So, uh, during his time at Eclipse, Bo Smith was put on point for some of their non-sports cards we were mentioned earlier, those, you know, serial killers and dictators and whatever else. Among those sets was to be one spotlighting famous comic book creators, and he was to make arrangements with the creators for use of their likenesses. At the time, Todd was getting ready to wrap up his Spider-Man run and move off to greener, in every sense of the word, a ching, pastures, and Bo says... We had a huge list of people to call, and when it was time to call Todd McFarlane, I saved him for last. I thought, let me save the guy for last, because this guy's going to be a prick. Uh, Turns out they hit it off pretty well, though, Bo continues. I told him I saved him for last, I thought he would be a prick, and he goes, most people think I am. Again, this is during the time where Todd and the boys were concocting the company that would become Image. Bo recalls Todd bending his ear from time to time about the sales side of things, including distribution and retail. Bo would moonlight for Todd during Eclipse's final days and came full t- full time a bit later. So why are we mentioning Todd? I don't know. Why would we bring uh, this guy up? <laughs> well, in 1996, Todd McFarlane, again, the very same fellow who co-founded Image Comics, created Spawn and launched that adjectiveless Spider-Man, the first issue of which sold over 2 million copies. This same fellow purchased the intellectual assets of Eclipse Comics which one might assume included the only one anyone might want, yeah. Miracle Man. Uh, now, the whole shebang, according to the Comics Journal, th- this number is, uh, when you research this, you get several different numbers for what he paid for it, but uh, the Comics Journal uh, says it set him back 25 Gs, wow. which, if you look at it, it's a bargain when you consider that this is the very same man who would spend $2.6 million on a baseball just two years later. Yeah, we're talking about 93, 94 now, right about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he's they're they're flush with cash over there. Absolutely. Uh, now he beat out eight other bidders at Stony Point New York auction on February 29th, nineteen ninety six. 
Uh, for Eclipse, that is not the baseball. Uh, <laughs> according to the Comics Journal, the auction included all copyrights, trademarks, characters, and other intellectual properties, along with the remaining trading cards, film negatives, and publishing agreements held for Eclipse Comics by the court. In a letter penned by Lisa M. Bresky Sachs on behalf of Jerry L. Sapir, attorney at law, to Terry Fitzgerald, Terry is a friend and professional associate of Todd's, McFarland's $25,000 offer was accepted. Uh, the letter mentioned certain publishing rights issues with the titles New Wave and Airboy. Now, we only mention that because any potential Miracle Man rights, Michigas, is conspicuous by its absence. You'd figure if there was any question of Miracle Man's ownership, it would have been divulged here. But sometimes if you don't want to answer those questions, you don't bring the subject <laughs> up, right? Let's not broach that, they might have thought. Yes. Uh, sticking with the Comics Journal, they reported the following. The most valuable piece of the purchase may prove to be the United States Patent and Trademark Office Registration, number 1,447,456 of the highly acclaimed series Miracle Man. Also presented to the bidders as part of the auction was the written agreement on trademarks and copyrights for Miracle Man between Eclipse publisher Dean Mullaney and Neil Gaiman, executed April 1st, 1989. Something about that date just seems so funny, Chris. Uh, the physical assets Todd bought, quote-unquote, included, from a difficult-to-read handwritten list, uh, and remember, there was a flood Eclipse had suffered not too long before this, so a lot of this is incomplete stuff. This, this is like, I think, literally what they had left. Yeah. Uh, what they could sweep up, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. This is the stuff behind the water heater. Uh, 190 copies of Velocity number 3. <laughs> 59 copies of Hobbit, book one, and 752 sets of foul baseball cards. 80 copies of Parts Unknown, number two. 23 sets of the Friendly Dictator trading cards. Oh, that's where they were. Right. <laughs> yes. 13 copies of Batman and Me, the Bob Kane autobiography. But you probably only want to hear about Miracle Man, though, right? You, don't want, you Only I wanted to know about those Friendly Dictator <laughs> trading cards. So uh, we'll go into the Miracle Man content. There was the Young Miracle Man file, Miracle Man number 13, cover only, Miracle Man number 17, cover only. Miracle Man Rock of Eternity, Miracle Man number 1, cover and additional cover. Miracle Man number 7, the backup file. Miracle Man number 6, the backup file. Miracle Man 3D number 1, cover and film with parcel damage. Miracle Man number 22, that was the cover and promo for it. Miracle Man Films, Saturday Morning Features, Young Miracle Man, and The Moon of Doom, and Excited Guards. Eh? Well, these are apparently, this isn't a cartoon show, this is uh, apparently stories from Miracle Man 3D number one. Oh, I would like to see that for a Saturday morning cartoon, <laughs> uh, especially the birth scene. Anyway, uh, Miracle Man <laughs> Collected number one and two, Miracle Man Collection Apocrypha, and Miracle Man number three and cover. Miracle Man 23, cover and film. Miracle Man number 18, cover and film. And uh, I think we'll leave it at that. We'll just but, go right back to the story. Well, you see, it really is a smattering of stuff. Yes. Just yes like it's not a full thing. Various related items to printing some Miracle Man is what he got, basically. <laughs> now, uh, Bo Smith states that Todd had an affection for both the Eclipse properties and Eclipse co-founder Dean Mullaney. And he wanted to ensure that all of the work was treated with dignity. Todd is quoted as telling the Comics Journal that he didn't buy the properties with the interest in republishing the old Eclipse titles. He says, Some of the stuff is worth reprinting, but for the most part, I will need to bring a 90s look to it. I might have access to 100 books, but only do something with three or four of them. Todd McFarlane Productions released a one-shot retailer incentive called Total Eclipse No. 1 with, July, with a July 1998 cover date. Not to be confused with that five-part prestige format, more Wolfman-written miniseries that we discussed a bit earlier, the crossover thing. This is a different Eclipse, Total Eclipse. Uh, this bugger had a print run of only 1,000 copies. Goes for about 50 bucks on eBay if you're interested, though, so it's not too tough to get your yeah. hands on. Uh, in it, Todd reintroduced several of the Eclipse properties, including Airboy, Black Terror, and The Heap. But not Miracle Man outside of a tiny promo image. And actually, I know Airboy and The Heap are old Golden Age properties. Probably, yep. Black, probably Black Terror, too, if I guess. Wouldn't surprise me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Todd had a bigger plan for Miracle Man and wanted to reintroduce him as part of Spawn's universe. Boy, this is it. Now we're really getting into the maze, <laughs> folks. I'm telling you. Uh, 
Hellspawn number six. That was a February 2001 cover date written by Brian Michael Bednis with art by Ashley Wood. Ends with a reporter writing a letter to the mayor of New York, which he signs off with the name Mike Moran. Hmm. Let's put a pin in that one for now because over here is where it's going to get even stickier. <laughs> yes. Now this Mike Moran was never be, would never be revealed as being Marvel Man, Marvel Man, obviously, but we will get there. Uh, now, folks believe this to be due to the Neil Gaiman legal hubbub, which again we will get to. Trust us. However, in the 2001 interview, Bo Smith claims the following. And remember, this was 2001, and this is being included as apocryphal completionism and as an example of just how confusing this entire thing was. Bo Smith says, Eclipse owns a controlling interest in Miracle Man. If Todd wanted to do Miracle Man, he could do it anytime he wanted, just the way it is. But Todd's not going to do that. That's mainly because what he wants to do, he wants to do right. Now, the story is kind of sort of corroborated in that same 1996 article from the Comics Journal, where it was announced that Todd bought the booty. Uh, Remember, we're going to go back to the split ownership here. First, we have Alan Moore transferred his portion of the Miracle Man trademark, which is one-third of the property, to Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham when they took over the book. The official documentation was signed by all parties on March 7th, 1989. Still with us. (laughs) Okay. Now... It further stated that Gaiman and Buckingham would, quote, in their turn, pass on their part of the trademark to their successors on the strip, or, failing that, return the trademark to Alan Moore to keep or pass on as he sees fit. Wow, it's like the hot potato, right? Just mm-hmm. pass, pass that trademark around. Are you still following us, folks? <laughs> now, uh, in mentioning the Eclipse letter, the agreement with Eclipse then stipulated that the company owned two-thirds, while Gaiman and Buckingham owned jointly owned the remaining one-third of, quote, all the characters in the stories and all the trademarks in and to the title Miracle Man, which is where we stand when Todd comes along. Todd claimed to have contacted Buckingham about the rights pretty much straight away and was confident that they would be able to work something out. As of the purchase per Todd, this is Neil's court right now. We don't think he meant, like, court as in court of law, but, you know, we will get to some of that That. very soon as well. (laughs) Uh, McFarlane Toys released an exclusive Spawn Miracle Man 2-pack of 4-inch action figures for the 2003 San Diego Comic-Con. The Miracle Man used here was a 4-inch PVC replica of the 12-inch resin statue McFarlane released earlier that year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Todd really had released a 12-inch resin statue of Miracle Man (laughs) earlier that year. Forgot, you know, he... So much toy work, it's easy to forget. Uh, The PVC 2-pack goes for under $50 on Amazon, which the work... In the world we live today, when it comes to the price of toys, really isn't even for brand new toys. It's not really that bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the 12-inch statue goes for about 100 bucks. Also, really not too bad for a, for a resin statue in today's market. Absolutely. Now, we did mention the McFarlane versus Gaiman legal hubbub above, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll expand upon that a little bit. Or a lot. Um, it's really a ton of background to begin. Yeah, it's going to take us into the next episode to get through all this stuff, folks. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to start by discussing Spawn Number 1. <laughs> <laughs> so this was released with a May 1992 cover date and would sell 1.7 million copies. As far as I'm surprised starting with more fun Number 1, you know, to take it all the way <laughs> to the Why not? very beginning. <laughs> Now, we, uh, you can check out uh, Cosmic Treadmill episode number 68 from December 10th, 2017 in the archives for our long-form discussion of Spawn number one. Now, this was a wizard hot book and would fuel the speculatory fires for many a wide-eyed, quote, investor. Uh, now, the book was acclaimed for the art and presentation. However, like many of its contemporaries, derided for its weak writing. From Neil Gaiman's own testimony, he says, When Image started, they were getting a lot of stick from fans and from the comics press for being illiterate garbage, which is probably a polite way of putting things they were saying about the comics, chiefly those written by Rob Liefeld. We would have to assume that the judge followed this up with, what is a Rob Liefeld and how is this relevant? Yeah, really? (laughs) (laughs) I guess he's, I guess Gaiman's just stuck in the comics bubble, man. I just want to throw a little dig at Rob Liefeld. While we're here, (laughs) let's take our time to throw a dart at him. Uh, and about Todd in particular, Neil would say, I remember somebody coming up to me in the DC offices showing me Spider-Man number one, which Todd drew and which people thought was very funny because the writing demonstrated that the person writing it had never written anything before, which actually 
very well might have been true. Uh, he would later state, by the time he got to Spawn, he was, you know, approaching competency and, you know, was competent. In an attempt to stifle complaints about the writing in Spawn, Todd McFarlane would invite several top-tier or at least respected writers to provide scripts. Among those writers were Alan Moore on issue number 8, that was March 1993 cover date, Dave Sim on issue number 10, uh, May 93 cover date, Frank Miller on issue 11, June 93 cover date, and the fellow we're talking about now, Neil Gaiman on issue number 9, March 1993 cover date. And that's where we're going to have to leave it for now. Uh, next time, we'll talk about how Neil Gaiman got involved with Todd and how it almost stopped any publication of Mick Anglo's characters, uh, Miracle or Marvel. Yeah, there's a lot to sift through here, folks. <laughs> Uh, and, and a lot, and a lot of information that seems like, like almost like uh, the Rob Liefeld comment, like, yeah, why a lot is that of inside important? baseball? Yeah, yeah, but it's it's going to be it's it is important. The fact that Neil wrote this script uh, will prove to be one of Todd McFarlane's uh, bigger mistakes in a, in a sense uh, as yes. we go down the line into what happens to the Marvel Man slash Miracle Man property. But uh, you know, a lot of this is. To, to me, Chris, is basically like, uh, and you see this not just in comics, but a lot of industries, uh, you know, people talking legalese without being lawyers. They're, they're, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not, not, not necessarily like we are, but just like people like, yeah, that's got to be legal. You know what I mean? It's like, you'd be surprised, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Chris has all the rights. To, he's got to have all the rights to that. Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, that's why you got to contact the lawyer, retain them, and uh, pick their brain, or, you know, often. That, that's probably... Between that and insurance, you know, liability insurance are the two biggest hidden costs of any business, I'm sure, right? And it, uh, it, it really, uh, when, you, when we talked last time about uh, Stan Lee uh, getting that copyright on Captain Marvel and uh, how the cease and desist letter from Marvel to Des Skin was so important. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, big corporation just messing with the little guy. It's like, no, no, they're protecting themselves from any future problems. Absolutely. It's responsible yeah. ownership. We, we will add, we will totally see how that could come to bite you in the butt in the next episode <laughs> yeah, if you, when if you don't exactly. do that. But yeah, like if you were, there is, I think it's even, there's even a name probably in Latin that we don't know uh, <laughs> where, where a, a company is liable to pursue their own uh, trademarks and copyrights. And if they don't, they Fall aside, almost they, forfeiting them. Yeah, you, you can almost uh, forfeit them in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. unless your company is Walt Disney. But <laughs> uh, that of all being said, if you would like to uh, talk to us about, uh, you know, any of the things we've talked about this episode, maybe pick our brains for some poor, bad legal advice. We're not lawyers. I want to say up front. Yeah, we'll, we'll try yeah, to that's field the disclaimer. Try to field any questions you might have. Uh, <laughs> Or talk about anything you'd like to talk about, as usual. It's great to us about your experience with Marvel Man. Maybe you got these uh, Eclipse issues as they came out. You can tell us how you felt about the long delays in between each issue. Uh, you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Find us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic email history. Find us on Tumblr, cosmic history.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter at cosmic T-mail, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. See our weekly writings about newer comics at WeirdScienceDCComics.com and see Chris's daily writings on DC Comics at his personal blog, ChrisIsInfiniteEarth.com, where he reviews a different DC comic every single day of the week. Now going on, it's into its third year, I think, or something like this. Yep, we're, we're going into we're going into our 800th daily uh, daily post. You here. were just blasting them, and uh, we're talking about this for a while, and we still will for a couple of weeks more about your hundred. Action Comics rundown. I saw yes. you just did the one, the first one post crisis. Mm -hmm. I did, uh, yes, where it turned into a team up book. And you, yeah, exactly. When it started turning into the, yeah, with the, uh, eventually the weekly came out after that too, right? After that, yep. And then uh, you also did the two, uh, opening up New 52. We're starting, you're starting to hit some tent poles, I feel like, you know, yeah. uh, here and there. I was so, saving those for the end, yeah. <laughs> that was, it's a good, a strong finish. You got to go check it out, folks. Uh, he's got pictures from the comics. He's got advertisements. The commentary is bellissimo. It's ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarth.com. Go take a look. Thank you. We also have our show site, WeirdComicsHistory.blogspot.com, where every Sunday we update with our Cosmic Treadmill, and sporadically on Tuesdays we update with our Weird Comics That's History. Right. And uh, at least for the little while now, on Thursdays we're we're assembling little box sets. Uh, mm. 
making it a little bit easier to traverse the archive. So if uh, if you wanted to check out our crisis coverage, we've got all five episodes of that, plus the weird comics history on the DC pre-crisis multiverse in one easy to find or easy to, you know, <laughs> easy to read back. Easy to read, <laughs> easy, easy to handle. Also, it's a good place because we usually, we often put extra stuff there, you know, pictures yep. and uh, stuff related to what we're talking about. So it's, I think, I think it's a better place to go find our podcast then Podbean, and I'm sticking Probably. with that. Yeah. <laughs> you can also find us on YouTube by searching YouTube for Weird Comics History, all one word. Yep, until we get uh, those thousand subscribers, folks, so be sure to subscribe <laughs> and whatever, rate, review, hit the, slap the thumbs up button, rickety-doo, I don't know what to, what else you gotta do, uh, hit a yeah. bell, I don't You want know. five, five stars, right? Is that something like is this? That give, us, give us five <laughs> stars, slap a like, subscribe, whatever, all that, uh, but uh, <laughs> I think that's all we got for him for now, Chris. You got anything else for him? Nope, that'll, that'll do it for, uh, for this week. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it weird historically. See My friends feel as they're appointed duty. They keep trying to tell me he yeah. 